From Verge in Indianapolis, I'm Matt Hunkler with Powder Keg. And today we talk team building, pitching, and storytelling with a serial tech entrepreneur, investor, and author who has earned his title as the Startup Whisperer. A lot of entrepreneurs, especially first-time people pitching, want to tell the entire story at a decent depth in hopes that one of those things will resonate with the person across the table from them. That's completely the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is to kind of make sure you go over at a surface level across the whole arc and let them ask you those things. Not only will it focus you on the things that are important to them, but you now pull them into the conversation. They're now part of it, as opposed to a bullhorn, you're now having a conversation. That's Chris Hively, startup investor and co-founder of MapQuest, which he sold to AOL in 2000 for $1.1 billion. His latest book, Build the Fort, chronicles the lessons learned from his own ventures, as well as more than 35 companies he personally invested in through his accelerator program, The Startup Factory. I drove down to Hively's offices at American Underground in Durham, North Carolina, and I'm so glad I did because I got his best advice on how to nail your startup pitch so you can raise capital, land early customers, and become a magnet for the smartest people to join your team. That's on Powder Keg. Here's a great way to listen to Powder Keg on your commute, at the gym, or anytime you need a quick hit of inspiration. I've got just three words for you. Subscribe on iTunes. Yes, we are in the iTunes store and you can find us by searching for Powder Keg. That's Powder Keg, all one word. Or you can go to powderkeg.co slash iTunes, which will take you directly to all of our episodes. You can download or stream any of the conversations with people like Christian Anderson, who's a partner at High Alpha. Now, High Alpha is a venture studio that launched eight funded startups in its first year of operation. So Christian brings a ton of experience to that episode, and that's actually episode number one. You'll also get interviews with guys like Cole Hatter, who is a master connector. That's episode number three. He's an author, investor, speaker, and founder who pursued entrepreneurship out of desperation. And he pursued it out of desperation because he wanted to build something that was mission driven. And he did that through business and his lifestyle. And he's impacted literally millions of people with that. A ton of people have already found us in iTunes and subscribed. We even have some people who have confessed to binge listening to all of the episodes available on Powder Keg. By the way, that's totally cool. And we 100% condone binge listening to this podcast. Uh, but there are a few podcast listeners who have been so kind as to leave a review. So I want to take a quick moment to say thank you to one of them from the very bottom of my heart. And our featured iTunes reviewer today is Sarah Graham, or maybe it's Sarah Graham. Nope, Sarah Graham. Sarah Graham sounds like a millennial focused app or something. I think it's Sarah Graham because it's spelled G-R-H-A-M. So this is a quote from Sarah. This is so relevant. What a great find. The interviewers are relevant to me as a business owner, entrepreneur, and overall improvement junkie. I would recommend this podcast to anyone who wants to learn from the experts. End quote. Sarah, you rock. Thanks so much for that review. And thanks to everyone else who has subscribed and left a review on iTunes. Super helpful for us, especially in these first couple of weeks on the iTunes store because it helps boost our visibility amongst other podcasts, as well as makes sure our stories are reaching more people. So go ahead and go to powderkeg.co slash iTunes, and that's going to take you directly to where you can subscribe and leave a review. 
If you use another podcast platform, you can find us pretty much everywhere else. Whether you use Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, SoundCloud, we pretty much got you covered. You can find all of those links and more, including show notes and a full transcript for every episode at powderkeg.co. You can also find more details on our site about the people and organizations who make Powder Keg possible. Now, on that note, I want to make sure I take a minute to thank our founding partner, Developer Town, for sponsoring this episode. Now, you're going to want to stick around after this conversation with Chris Hively because we have a special bonus interview with one of Developer Town's clients. We'll talk with Scott Humphreys, who's an entrepreneur innovating within a large multinational conglomerate. It gives you a taste of the value that Developer Town brings to the table as they help big companies move a little bit more like startups. Now, Developer Town, or DT as I often abbreviate it, works with clients ranging from first-time entrepreneurs to Fortune 100 companies. Now, this is for organizations that want to build and launch an app or a digital product. They've been really helpful for us here at Powder Keg with our podcast launch strategy, and they've even helped with some of our expansion into various cities where we host our live events under the Verge brand. Um, so do yourself a favor and get in touch with DT at developertown.com slash powder keg. Our guest today is Chris Hively, who just might be the world's first actual map geek. Now, I say that because he co-founded one of the first online navigation tools, MapQuest. Some of you listeners might be a little too young to remember, and uh, some of us older folks might need a refresher on MapQuest. So let me remind you what a wonderful experience it was to search your route on your home computer. That's your home desktop computer. So you could print out your directions and take them with you before you hopped in the car. Back in the day, MapQuest was like pure magic. But this company was Hively's first, and it blazed the trail for other navigation-powered apps like Google Maps, Waze, and Uber. MapQuest went public back in 1999 and was acquired by AOL shortly thereafter for $1.1 billion. That's billion with a capital B, people. That's a lot of money by any measure, but it was especially enormous when they sold back in the year 2000. Since his successful exit, Hively has personally directed over $75 million in investment capital on behalf of large companies, including Rand McNally, Accenture, and a handful of others. He recently closed down the Startup Factory, which was the largest seed investment firm in the Southeast. And this conversation with Chris is just before they made their last investment at the Startup Factory, or TSF as we sometimes refer to it in this interview. But they had already made over 30 investments in high-growth startups when we caught up with Hively just after Demo Day for a group of their portfolio companies. So it was the perfect time to get his insight on this subject. So before we get started, I want to make sure I give a shout-out to his book, Build the Fort. Awesome book, which you can find on Amazon and Kindle. Or uh, in the show notes, we'll obviously have that linked up for you. Um, he's super active on his personal website, Hively.com. That's H-E-I-V-L-Y.com. And on his Twitter, at Chris Hively. So give him a shout and tell him I sent you. And now, my interview with one of the country's foremost experts on how to turn startups into multi-million dollar companies, the startup whisperer himself, Mr. Chris Hively. I want to make sure we dig into some very important pieces of the startup pitch and how that plays a role uh, everywhere from initial idea to funding to growth um, and recruiting the team. Uh, and it's really cool because you have a lot of companies involved in those spaces. 
Uh, but I want to take it back first to the early days. Um, how involved were you uh, in the early days of MapQuest sort of forming its pitch uh, and, and working through that process? Uh, so it's, it's funny, I've, uh, I, I kind of grew up as a kind of technical person. I actually learned how to code even though I was a geographer. <laughs> and uh, I was a terrible geographer. I was an okay geographer and a coder, which back in the day made me very unique. Yeah. Sometimes I say I'm the first map geek, right? <laughs> um, but one of the things that I was able to develop early on, and I didn't know I had it until people started telling me I had it, is the ability to kind of translate kind of technology and difficult technology in a way that was consumable by whoever was sitting on the other side of the chair. Such an important skill. Yeah, and, and, at, and, it's, and it's at its gross level, you know, not gross, disgusting, but kind of <laughs> at its large level, uh, pitching is all about kind of trying to share your thoughts with the audience to the way they want to consume it. And whether you're talking to an investor, which is maybe one kind of a pitch, or a potential employee, whether you're sitting at a table between you and I, or whether you're sitting in front of an audience of a thousand people, how best can I kind of get them to consume my message? Mm. And that's really what a pitch is about. And somehow I learned how to do that early on. And I was always the pitch dude, right? Because yeah. I could translate it. Um, second part is, obviously I'm a little passionate. You'll see me get all kind of Tommy boy here. Yeah. Uh, I think when you, you can tell even the most boring things. If you tell it with passion, people give you a lot of room. Well, let's go back to that first point of being able to deconstruct the technology or what you're building into what the audience wants to consume. Is there a common thread that regardless of audience, they're gonna to wanna to hear this one piece about the technology or they're going to want to get um, this, this one sort of concept of what it is? Well, I guess it all depends what the audience wants. And you know, if you're sitting in an audience of 1,000 people, there's probably not one thing, right? If you're sitting at a table, there's probably one thing. I always tell people, start with who the audience is and what they want and what you want to communicate, and then fix, you know, kind of fill in the, the pitch from there. Yeah. I always go to the end and look to the front, yeah. is kind of my analogy there. And so I, I think, so, uh, and then of course, depending on who the audience is, you can also kind of set the level of maybe technology or the letter, you know, the letter level of acronyms or, you know, you got to talk to the audience. So, um, Would you always research your audience before going and presenting? Uh, if by research you mean ask the person that asked me to come who the audience will be yeah. and two minutes later have an answer, sure. <laughs> uh, that's probably as deep as I want. I, I probably, yeah, I certainly would do that. I think more importantly, I sit and I think. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, if I'm sitting in this audience, and I get bored really easily. So almost everything I, every speech or pitch that I do, I'm thinking about, all right, how can I get them to enjoy what I'm saying and get it in a consumable way and not bore them? Yeah. Uh, that's the, like the worst thing. My worst fear is boring people. What were some of the things that you did to make sure the audience stayed engaged, specifically at, at MapQuest? Yeah, so one of the things, so they, they say there's two schools of thought in pitching. One is that you want to remain kind of in your moment, right? You want to kind of you know keep your gestures down small. You want to be in this space. Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> I, I'm bigger than that. And so, uh, like one of the things we teach our TSF companies is you know first and foremost you have to be you, which is being authentic, and that will kind of shine through. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, when I do, and I remember doing a talk at like CES, which is the big consumer election. It was either CES or Comdex. They was their, the two big shows, Vegas, hundred yeah. thousand people. I remember sitting first time. I'm probably in front of five thousand people, and I'm stuck behind a podium, 
And I just remember that experience as being a terrible experience because my personality couldn't come out. And that was the last day or the last time I said, I'm going to be, I'll do what they want me to do. No, now you're going to do what I want to do. I want a lavalier and I want to be able to move. Mm. And so even today, I'll go out into the audience. I want to engage people. I want to look them in the eye. I want to smile. Yeah. I want to get them fired you up. You specifically ask for a lavalier microphone. All the time. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Certainly no podium. Handheld if I have to. Yeah. Lavalier much preferred. Oh, that's great. And so you'll actually go into the audience. And is that mainly just to go out and uh, be able to present from a different vantage point? Or are you actually engaging with the audience um, and asking them questions in real time? It certainly depends on the nature of what it is that you're doing. But if at all possible, I will go into the audience and I will try to engage people. I'll ask them questions. I'll open the door for them to ask me questions. I may only get three questions, but it'll, it'll kind of set the tone. And I think when you tell the audience that I want you to be part of this journey with you, you can be much more effective. Mm-hmm. And so even a couple questions kind of says, hey, you're with me on this thing. Plus I'm looking you in the eye from five feet away, not from 300 feet away with a big you know, video screen behind me. Yeah, well, I would imagine you know, with the technology background that you had and the cartography background that you had, you could have gone very, very deep down the rabbit hole of those two subjects uh, in any of your pitches. I'm guessing you chose not to do that. So how do you decide how did you decide which points to hit um, in, in sort of describing or pitching your technology uh, along the way? And in answering that, is it better to go broad and get people to ask you to go deeper, or is it better to go a little bit deep, show that you have the depth, um, and, then, and then kind of leave it open? That's a great question, and I, I'm not sure you ever know whether you've hit it right. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you that... What do you shoot for? What do I shoot for? I typically shoot for probably somewhere in between those two things. Mm. I want to start a little bit on a broad level, and I want to give you the context from which I want to kind of share so that every, it's consumable to everyone in the audience, yeah. especially the larger the audience, the more... De- you know, they say sometimes you got to talk to the lowest common denominator. I don't know if I want to go all the way to the lowest common denominator, <laughs> sure. but kind of I hint more towards that than not. Smaller audience where I know who the people are, I can kind of go a little bit deeper. Mm. But generally, I want to make sure that my the arc of my whole story is told, and then I can leave room for people to kind of pull you into the places that they're interested in, especially at a, like a tabletop pitch, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think the... A lot of entrepreneurs, especially first-time people pitching, want to tell the entire story at a decent depth in hopes that one of those things will resonate with the person across the table from them. That's completely the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is to kind of make sure you go over at a surface level across the whole arc and let them ask you those things. By the way, not only will it uh, kind of focus you on the things that are important to them, but you've now pulled them into the conversation. And now they're now part of it, as opposed to a bullhorn, you're now having a conversation. So especially kind of in a a, like a table presentation, I want to engage that person as quickly as possible. So would you say that a good pitch is really a good conversation? Again, I, you know, if two people at a table versus a thousand people in the audience, I'd say I want to find broadly defined the conversation in a large audience, which is maybe why I go into the room and go in, you know, walk the tables and at least walk the stage a lot um, because I kind of want to engage them and look each group in the eye and try to say, hey, uh, if that's a conversation in in the broadest sense, yes. Um, 
Sure. Well, I think that um, it, it's interesting because you're at a point right now where you really don't have to pitch what you're doing. You, you've created this amazing magnet here in, in Durham, North Carolina, but I think that your entrepreneurial roots uh, and just being around entrepreneurs as long as you have, you still have the, that pitch down, for, whether it's for TSF, the startup factory, or for Big Top, the thing that you're doing with uh, career placement for high growth, high tech companies. You, you see the opportunity when it's presented to, to kind of give your pitch and you still do it in a conversational way and it's natural. I don't feel like I'm being pitched, right. but by the time I leave, I'm bought in. Right. And I, I think that that's uh, an important theme that you know you hear a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, especially on the technical side, uh, say, you know, I don't want to have to pitch my product. The product will sell itself. Um, what's kind of your take on that from the, the technical side? Good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're the one person that your product will, you know, be that instant viral thing, and you won't have to do anything to kind of get it, you know, get it out there. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately for the rest of us mere mortals, um, <laughs> you know. The question is, uh, you know, I've dealt with tech, software tech companies all my life, and I come from a, you know, somewhat tech uh, point of view. That's kind of still the bones of maybe who I am. But I've also been, I've, I've kind of evolved into a founder, a CEO, kind of an executive, a manager, or whatever you want to call that. And if that's going to be the route that you need, if you're going to be a founder of a company, you have to know how to pitch. And whether you're convincing investors or and new employees or customers, and you know maybe you don't have to label it as a pitch, maybe it's just being able to tell your story and tell it you know from a really good, authentic, your personality, passionate point of view. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that? Uh, maybe you don't have to get hung up and calling it a pitch. Maybe it's just telling your story in the most effective way possible. But you're gonna be you better be able to convince people or at least share with people what you're doing. And then, you know, it's up to them. So for instance, my, um, my big top reverse job fair, 12 to 14, 15 companies come, and instead of uh, the typical boring suits, ties, resumes, quiet, you know, kind <laughs> of existence, it's a, it's a circus with jugglers and acrobats, and the companies get three minutes on stage to, quote, pitch the audience, unquote, about why they should come work for their company. Now this makes sense in the tech world today because the leverage is not with the companies anymore. You're a software developer, you get to pick which company you go Absolutely. to, right? Not the other way around. So it levels, it's a, the, pitch. It, it, it's a reverse pitch. I call it a reverse job fair, right? But the whole idea here is that you better be able to convince people and get them fired up for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, call that a pitch, maybe it's a pitch, I don't know. But that was at least my concept and it seems to have worked really well. The bad companies get up and just, you know, do your PowerPoint, you know, send up the recruiting manager. Listen, they're important. We need the recruiting managers to go find people. But at the end of the day, the people that buy it, they buy into, you know, the passion, they buy into the mission, right? That's that's you gotta sell that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and we're talking a little bit about the pitch for established companies and, and the companies on the scale side of uh, the entrepreneurial growth cycle. Talk to me a little bit about the founders that you see here at, at TSF, because I imagine you've seen thousands of pitches by now. Um, how many classes have you had now through the? We've had seven co cohorts, about 35 investments in three and a half years. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and those companies, I know some have already been acquired. Uh, some are still raising subsequent funding. Right. Um, of those companies that you selected and put through the process, um, first off, 
how did you choose them based on their application? And, and, and what was it about their pitch that made those the 35? Sure. So um, it's funny because we're talking about pitch here. Part of our application and probably the most important part of our application is a one to two minute video that we ask them to get, just give us a link to, put it up on Vimeo or YouTube or wherever. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, a little secret is I hardly read the application, <laughs> but I watch every video. That's good feedback. And th the first thing I'm trying to do is connect with you in some way. I will tell you there's a story of two young guys you know, sitting in front of their MacBook you know, it probably practices a bunch of times. They're like, ready, ready. Like, I didn't see this, of course. And they like, they press play and they look at each other and burst out laughing, okay? And they're like, all right. And then they just kind of started their pitch. Uh, that little human moment probably got them into the next round mm. because they didn't edit it out. They said, this is kind of who we are. And, you know, I needed to connect with people at some, not just about the idea, but you as a person. Yes. Because I can tell you the best way for you to use an accelerator, any accelerator, but especially TSF, is we want someone who has that kind of, that personality that just has a kind of a humble nature, has a curious nature, loves to get this kind of, you know, tidal wave of disparate advice and then wants to process all that. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see that sometimes in the personality in the video. So, well, What characteristics in the personality uh, stand out to you in that video? You know, is, it, is it how they talk? Is it how they carry themselves? Or it's probably, I'm guessing it's some combination. Yeah, I mean, if, if it was, uh, if I could actually pinpoint it and measure it, yeah. right, I would, I would probably, I, that would be my new startup, right? right? right, right. Um, so I don't know what it is. I tell people sometimes it's like pornography, the definition of pornography. I don't know how to define it, right. but I know it when I see it. And so now I also have a partner in crime here, Dave Neal, and, and we've now bought, been through seven, probably been through just under a thousand applications and you know, through that whole funnel of getting these 35 investments. We have ways, and, and, and like anything else, the more you do it, the more you kind of see, mm. um, yeah, this works, this doesn't work. And then you have a combination of at least two or three heads in the game, kind of pulling and, and pushing. Um, uh, interesting, our selection process is very simple as we go through each round. So okay. the first round, we cut down to 35 people. And uh, we put, them all the, you know, put the whole applications in a spreadsheet, and then we vote yes, maybe no. Okay. That's it. Really simple rubric. And so the yes, yeses are easy. The no, no's are easy. Um, maybe even the maybe, maybes are okay. It's the yes, no's or the no, yeses that we really need to talk about. Yeah. What did I see that you said no to or vice versa? And so then we spend a lot of time kind of on that group and what is it that we saw or didn't see. And that's when, you know, sometimes it's personality, sometimes it's the way they handle, maybe it was the team dynamics, which is always one clue, by the way. Absolutely. Is there two people, three people in the video, but only one person does all the talking? Well, certainly that's a signal. Absolutely. So you're looking for team-oriented businesses, and so if, if there's a team involved and there's only one person on the video, that's communicating something. It's communicating something, either overtly or, or not, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And so it's important for everyone on the team to be able to, to pitch at some level. I, I, we, yeah, everyone should be pitching. Everyone should be able to pitch. I mean, our first couple of weeks, we work on the elevator pitch, and I'll, I'll make the, uh, the introverted software dev lead do the pitch some days. That's just awesome. To, just to say, okay, you know, hey, someday you might be sitting on an elevator and, or on an airplane or sitting in front of, you know, 
interesting you know, commentators saying, asking questions. You gotta be able to tell that 30 second version of your story. Well, so, so what makes a good elevator pitch? If I'm pitching, let's say I'm pitching Verge, what makes a good elevator pitch? If, if I run into you here in the underground, let's say we didn't get introduced by a mutual uh, friend and we're just riding the elevator together and I've got 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Yeah, game on, right? Game on. Game on. Uh, how would you want to be pitched? How would I want to be pitched? Uh, we have an interesting idea. We're trying to operate in this space. I give me a little bit of context. Yep. Here's what we've accomplished to date and here's what our next steps are. Um, and if you leave me a little bit of mystery that make me wanna say, stop that elevator, I need to talk to you some more, yeah. that would be great. So, but give me a little context, give me a little bit of data, and then tell me what the next steps are. That's great. So it's, it's almost like, uh, here's, here's the opportunity, here's the traction, and then you're hooking your attention. Yep to get you to the next. Right, you're not gonna close them. Right. Why you just, I, you just wanna be able to get more of my time, yep. right? That's, so it's that's, sort of like, here's where we're going, we're already getting there, but we think you might be able to help, here's, here's how. So remember I said earlier, go to the end yeah. and look to the beginning. So, yeah. you know, an elevator pitch, what you're saying to yourself, all right, I, my goal, the end goal is, I wanna get more time from this person. I want this person to say, here's my email, or here's my phone number, give me a call, or do you got 10 minutes now? That's your target. Your target is to say, I want, I want to get this, the next meeting, yes. right? Whether it's a minute from now or a week from now. So if that's your target, what do I have to say to be able to get that? Mm. So if you're sitting in front of a thousand people and you want 500 new Twitter followers, you might wanna mention your Twitter handle, but you might wanna say something interesting about, here's what you can find when you follow me, right? If that's what your goal is. Mm -hmm. If your goal is I want to get that next meeting or the goal is I want to get an investment, tell me what are the things that I need to hear to make someone go, I need to know more. Well, let's, let's take it to the next step. Let's say you know, you've got your companies that are about to go on stage for their demo day, which you host here in Durham, North Carolina. Right. How do you prepare for a demo day? And uh, I, I'm guessing you give, what, five? Eight minutes. Ten? All right, somewhere in between, eight yeah, minutes, that's yeah. great. So what do, you, what do you coach those entrepreneurs to do in that eight minutes that they didn't do in the 20 second elevator pitch? Got it. Uh, so if we do nothing else well, we do good pitch. Yeah. So we've heard that great feedback from investors who've been to Y Combinator, Techstars, all the pitches say, you guys do good pitch. And I'll tell you our formula. And it comes down to just a few basic things. Uh, if we have a 12 week program, mm -hmm. the last three weeks we're working on pitch. Wow. Three weeks of pitch prep. Wow. Every single day. 25% of your accelerator is the pitch. Every single day you will pitch. To Dave and I, we don't bring in too many people because actually more cooks, more chefs spoil that soup. Mm -hmm. Okay? So when you're getting feedback, whether you're in an accelerator or you've created your own accelerator of mentors, it's better to get the advice of maybe two to five. And the same two all the way along. Because if you keep asking opinions, you're gonna get more opinions. It's, it's a subjective, not an objective thing. So, uh, and what happens is everyone has an opinion about what they like and what they don't like. And there's no real right answer. At the end of the day, what we tell the entrepreneurs, listen, this has gotta be you. I just try to bring out in those three weeks their natural personality and then make it a little bit bigger. So explain to me why you spend an entire three weeks on the pitch and what does that look like? 
So uh, one of the things that, I mean, the most obvious piece of advice is the more you pitch, the better you get, yeah. okay? So we want to get at least a minimum of 25 reps just with us. Mm -hmm. You're doing it another one to two times a day, either by yourself, maybe with your co-founder, maybe with your mirror and your phone, right? So we expect you to kind of take you know, 50 to 60 versions of this over this three-week period. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening is the first week, it's more about these big building blocks, kind of the basic structure of the story you want to tell. Okay. And we care less about the specific words or even about your mannerisms, right? We're just trying to, like, does this seem to make sense? This, does this arc kind of feel right? And that's different for each company, right? Yeah. And depends on what they have to say and, you know, part vision, part mechanics, part product, part... Uh, you know, traction, right? All those things. And do you, you actually map that out with them? I mean, there's, we follow kind of a basic, uh, kind of, you know, the five basic steps of, you know, what the problem is, what the solution is, what the team is. And like, so it follows those kinds of things. Yeah. And by the way, like, follow that. Like, there's a reason <laughs> that that's kind of like the standard, right. right? I always get kind of chuckle at people who kind of break that. And I'm like, well, wh why, are you, why do you think you're different, right? Just people expect that. Keep that, those basic building blocks. Follow right? the pattern. It's, Follow the pattern. It's, like, it's like web design, right? Put the search box on the upper right. Yeah. Put the home button on the upper left. <laughs> just, it's just the way we do it, right? Yeah. Um, the second week, uh, we start to get into kind of, uh, we're, we're, past, we're past the building blocks, and we're now starting to kind of optimize mm. kind of the wording. And sometimes we end up kind of, well, too long on this piece. Or, you know what, I need a little bit more here in this block because I think there's an opportunity to say more. And at, by the end of that week, we're starting to get into kind of maybe good phrases. And, you know, and what ends up happening is words start actually being eliminated, right? And we end up being able to kind of say more with less, yes. right, by the end of the second week. And then the third week, we're really starting to find like some really good phrases. And then we're then we uh, kind of we're, we're bringing it home with then the kind of stylistic things. Right. Build in some pauses here. Repeat that phrase. Mm -hmm. um, we may be working on kind of your personal style. Are you a kind of a stand in one place, kind of like a TED thing, where you're kind of you're in the circle, or are you a person that you know likes to go big with the hands? Right. And so let's make sure you, you want to use the whole stage. Is there anything in the the phrasing and, and the words? Um, that is sort of tried and true way of finding what those key phrases or what those keywords are? Or is it more of a, you just kind of know them when you hear them? I think you know them when you hear them. Yeah. And, and Dave and I both, you know, we, we'll, we'll pop ideas at people. Uh, sometimes I'll just stand up and go, well, hey, try this on for size. And I'll try kind of a version. And it's almost like music where you're kind of riffing. And so we'll try to riff, especially in those first two weeks, there's a lot of riffing going on yeah. about, well, I don't know, that doesn't resonate with me. I'm not feeling that part. Uh, what can we do here? And what are you thinking here? And so you just, sometimes you stumble upon them. Um, you know, every day they show up, sometimes they've just, they're just doing the same thing yesterday again. And sometimes they come back, it's like, I got a complete kind of rewrite. I'm rethinking this whole thing. Let me try this out. Yeah. So through it all, all the machinations, uh, we end up at a really good product. So don't be af afraid to kind of play around with it uh, just to see if something pops out of that, that, exactly. that maybe the new approach, 90% of it isn't used. I will tell you though, and I'm gonna anticipate your next question, sure. which is, you know, who are the companies that either fail at this or the companies that don't do well? Yeah. Why do they not do well? Yes, absolutely. I can boil it down to one thing and one thing only. Okay. They do not work the process. They, 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 I'll have them come in at the end of week one 
and they haven't worked on it, they haven't spent the time on it. Yep. I, I tell the, usually the founders, usually the, or the CEO or whatever, the person who's got that lead role, uh, you know, they usually are gonna be the one that pitches. And what I'll tell them is, you better be spending two to three hours a day, including the 20 minutes, 30 minutes with us. Mm -hmm. um, you better be spending a couple hours a day on this, doing the pitch yourself, doing it in front of the mirror, maybe writing down an outline, or some people actually kind of will script the whole thing out and then we throw the script away. I don't care how you get there, mm -hmm. but you gotta be working this every day. Yeah. And invariably, it's the people who go, like especially you know, some people who, you know, they're a little more charming, maybe they're more comfortable on stage. Yeah. They're like, I can just wing this. Well, you know what? What I tell them is, you'll wing it and you'll do an okay job, but you'll be sitting there with, you know, we'll have six companies pitch and the five that practiced it, who ironed it down, will be over here, and you'll be over here. You'll stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So you may be good inside your own little viewpoint of your world, because that's what you do, but compared to everyone else, you'll look sloppy and... You didn't work the process. You didn't work the process. It works. And I want to get it to muscle memory time, not practice time. Yes. Where yeah, you're just absolutely. up there, and you're having a conversation, and now your personality starts to kind of come out, because the words are almost secondary because you've honed those over the 40, 50 reps you've done, and that's how we do a good pitch. So I have to ask, do you have any favorites? You know, I'm sure you, you love all the ones that come out of the Startup Factory, um, but do you have any favorites, whether they were in TSF or, or outside, uh, that just blew you away? Yeah, uh, you know, there, there's a couple favorites, and the ones that are usually my favorite, so a couple things. One is, again, invariably, their best pitch is the one on pitch day. Mm -hmm. Like almost, I mean, I, I, maybe I can think of one or two out of the 35 that didn't bring their best pitch on the day of, which is really cool to see. That's amazing. But it's that, a lot of pressure to be able to perform under that. Well, I think, again, if you practice it, it becomes more mu muscle memory. And as long as we create an environment that's kind of relaxed and that they're comfortable with, then they just, it just happens. You just run the race, yeah. right? Um, but. I think some of my favorites are the ones who maybe brought it the farthest, maybe struggled at the beginning or kind of even maybe a few days before were kind of like, I'm not feeling it. And then they come in and they just kind of, they run that sub 10 second hundred, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh my God, that was amazing, right? And uh, there's a couple that I just thought, like one guy I thought just, he sometimes would race a little bit too far and kind of get his words would go fast and he just found his zen moment mm. and like his pauses were just like wow right they just you know they the pauses just just made it work right yeah. and uh i love some of those moments i i definitely believe that being able to relax in the moment is something that when you're on stage you feel like a one second pause is like a minute right right because you have so much to say and so right. little time but that's really great feedback on being able to pause for emphasis, right? Pauses are huge. First of all, I mean, if you think about this like kind of eating food, like you need palate cleansers. You need time to move from the appetizer to the entree, and you need time to digest that, and our minds need that as well. So a couple well-placed pauses allow people to kind of go, got it, process it, and then you say, then, then with your voice or your mannerisms, you say, now we're gonna take it to the next chapter. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm with you. And if you kind of race through that, people, you can't catch up, right? Indigestion. And, and you can't digest it right. and you miss stuff, right? That's um, a great metaphor. Yeah, so uh, back to one of the things you, you just mentioned that I think is interesting, I always tell them, listen, um, the day of, 
do it one more time in the morning because we usually do our pitch days at night, and then don't do it. Like, there's nothing you can do to change this at this point. So just now it's just time to let it rock, right? So don't yeah. practice it 16 more times the day of. So that's that's a really good game time coaching yeah. right there. What were some of the other things about the, the pitches that you really loved? Um, you know, you mentioned that this guy was able to kind of relax and find his own groove uh, and hit the pauses just right. Um, was there another one that you could think of that you just were like, wow, that was, that was it? Um, one of our little things we mentioned in the third week, we're trying to work out some personal mannerisms and kind of let your personality come, come, come free, right? Uh, one of the things we try to encourage people to do is smile. It's amazing what a smile will do to just relax people and kind of bring them in. Uh, when you pause and smile, it's like, by the way, if you're on your phone, what are you going to do? You're going to look up. You're going to look up. Absolutely. Right? And then you see someone smile and you're like, oh my God, what's coming next? Right? <laughs> so again, when you see maybe someone who's a little bit more introverted, right? And they're kind of, you know, that's not maybe kind of who they are, yeah. but to see them kind of find their kind of, you know, inner pitch God, right? And kind of <laughs> right. just like bring that. Yeah. You're just like, I'm standing there going like, damn, right? they nailed it, right? right? And then you, yeah, and then I'll, you know, I'll usually maybe being off stage and I'll watch the, I'm watching the audience more than I'm watching them. And you see people kind of look up and you see them kind of smile back. You're like, oh, they got them. They nice. got them in, they're in, right? Chris Hively is doing amazing things for the startup ecosystem there in the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area. It was so cool to see his space down there in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, we've been lucky enough to have him here speaking at events in Indianapolis. He has an amazing book out that obviously you should check out uh, with tons and tons of advice on how to pitch, how to get support around your ideas, to bring those ideas into reality, which of course, he talked about a ton here on the podcast, but I'm actually here with Nick Wangler, our partner here on the Powder Cake Podcast through his role as a partner at Developer Town. And uh, he's gonna introduce a really cool entrepreneurial story with Scott Humphreys. Yeah, so we, at Developer Town, we help big companies move like a startup with, with web and mobile products. And so obviously part of that startup life is pitching and that's no different inside of a big company. And so part of what Scott talks about here is how do you do that inside of a big company? How do you pitch to you know the different areas? And so it's just as true inside of a, of a large company as it is at a startup. And so this is good stuff. Let's hear it from Scott. I really like that Developer Town focuses on validation prior to building product. And as we all know, validation, a big piece of that is pitching ideas, testing out different approaches to messaging, testing out different features to include in that pitch. Scott, could you talk to me a little bit about the importance of understanding how to pitch and pitch well when you're working at a large organization, but as an entrepreneur launching a new project? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. So I've you know, heard a fair number of pitches now myself from various people, and there's a lot of different approaches. And one of the things that, you know, when you're doing this in, in a big organization, you know, yes, you wanna generate a lot of excitement. Yes, you wanna say, I have some massive total addressable problem you know, that we're going after, but these are people who are very grounded as well and saying, hey, I have shareholders, I have revenue numbers I need to meet. So you're really trying to hit that balance of, 
here, you know what, I can change your business. I could, you know, if we can build out a service model and generate a hundred million in revenue, I'm going to add a billion, you know, to your valuation. And they care about that. They're interested in that. And, and so getting that interest around those pieces and how you can benefit their shareholders and keeping it grounded enough that they believe you, it's a, you know, it's kind of an interesting mix. So, you know, and again, it comes back that I've, I've seen those presentations that feel like, hey, that is an amazing problem, but there's no way you're gonna achieve that here in the next five years. And you can't do that. That's not what a corporation is gonna look at. They're still saying, we need a return sooner on the investment. And whether that's a big picture or not, there needs to be you know, the roadmap to what's the incremental way to even get there. That was part four of our interview series with Scott Humphreys, who is the entrepreneurial leader at Johnson Controls, a client at Developer Town. To learn more about Developer Town and the awesome work that they're doing, go to developertown.com slash powder keg. You'll not only get a direct line into the developer townies and the brilliant minds there, but you'll also get some free resources on building and launching tech and info products. You can find show notes for this episode at powderkeg.co and be sure to hop on our email list there. We're releasing tons of bonus footage, some how-to guides, and even some bonus interviews but this is only for email list subscribers so be sure to check it out we're coming out with new episodes every tuesday so make sure you subscribe on itunes or at our handy link that is powderkeg.co slash itunes thanks again to everyone who shared an episode of powder keg subscribe to us on itunes or left us a review it's the only way we're going to spread this message and reach new people and we couldn't do it without you so until next time we'll see you in the next episode of powder keg